to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. We've all seen some great examples of sponsorships adjusting and doing something different and really creative activations this year because of COVID-19 and a lot of those have been driven by necessity. But probably the most talked about activation of 2020 has been Burger King sponsorship of Stevenage FC, who at the time of the sponsorship in 2019 were last in the fourth division of English football. It left many people scratching their heads. It is, of course, the sponsorship that gave us the Stevenage Challenge on FIFA. This amazing sponsorship wasn't driven by COVID-19 or necessity. It was driven through vision and creativity and, as our guest phrases it later on in the show, a leap of faith to pull off a truly brilliant activation. One of the reasons it was so brilliant was because the opportunity was right under so many people's noses, yet so many people just didn't see it. The activation is both amazing in its boldness, yet so jarringly simple. Tap into the already huge but growing esports market, specifically FIFA. Tap into the underdog status and fairy tale storyline of the underdogs winning. Tap into the desire for people to share their gaming highlights online. Tap into the fact that everyone loves an easily accessible giveaway especially fast food. And the results have been truly amazing. I really don't want to steal our guest's thunder, so I won't rattle them off except for the fact that there has been so much amazing commercial upside for Stephen and Jeff C based off the 1.2 billion impressions that Burger King shirt sponsorship of Stephen and Jeff C has produced through the Stephen and Challenge on FIFA. And those commercial outcomes and further opportunities are now both online and offline. Alex Tunbridge is Chief Executive at Stevenage FC and he joins us in this episode to take us inside Burger King's sponsorship of his club. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to episode 89, brought to you by Core Software. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. I hope you are well, and as regular listeners know, now is the time in the show for some shout-outs, but I'm sad because I don't have any shout-outs to give. So please, for the next show, if you haven't already reached out and connected with me and said hi and let me know a little bit about yourself, please do and I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. I really do love hearing from you all. So jump on LinkedIn and just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. Alex Tunbridge has a long history of working in football, including stints at AFC Bournemouth, Stevenage FC, Newport County AFC, rising to CEO there, and then a return to Stevenage FC as Chief Executive executive in 2018 and he joins us in this episode to take us inside Burger King sponsorship of his club and the Stevenage Challenge on FIFA. But before we hear from Alex, Daniel Collier-Hill, Calls Commercial Director, APAC, joins us to discuss his latest blog titled, Three Things That Will Provide Both Short and Long-Term Benefits to Sponsorship Managers. Here's Daniel. Daniel Collier-Hill, welcome to the show. We've had some fairly significant shifts in the way we manage sponsorship, at least operationally speaking, in 2020. We have had to answer progress and performance-related questions like never before. We've had to value deals like never before, and, and we've had to bring them to life like never before. The mentality of that's how we've always done it, it just doesn't cut it anymore, does it? No, not at all. And I think it's widely accepted that as a result, there's been some really brilliant ideas and ways of getting things done. And and that's probably the most important thing that for brands and rights holders, we just want to get stuff done right now. And I think 
you know, there's a couple of things that we've learned off the back of this. So there's really three quick things that whilst they might appear straightforward and a no-brainer, can save a lot of time and resources for everyone involved in the sponsorship world. Okay, so let's run through those. The first one that you want to talk through is milestone payments. What's that all about? So we often talk about how content is king. And I think I shared a really good example of this on LinkedIn recently, so I might shoot myself in the foot here. But CFOs are going to argue, and particularly of late, that cash is king. And any actions taken to protect or grow cash right now is super important. Now, this is absolutely more brand focused. However, instead of of paying fees upfront or through a generic payment schedule, milestone payments can somewhat breathe life into how we pay for sponsorship and at the same time appease the finance department, which is a big tick uh, right now. In, in theory, milestone payments, they're not new and, and they're in fact just agreed installments of the, the term sponsorship fee, but they have, however, certain criteria attached to them to trigger payment. So, for example, I'm thinking criteria could be the delivery of specific assets or specific, specific objectives being met. So, for me, this not only speaks to the need for CFOs to de-risk sponsorship payments whilst keeping an eye on you know, cash in bank, it also allows marketing and sponsorship teams to ensure that their deal is actually achieving what it's set out to in the first place. If there's links to objectives and KPIs, it also provides milestones for the teams to engage with one another on a formal basis and have discussions about progress or strategy. This is you know, polar opposite to what we see all too often in that you know, teams go the whole year running without anyone really discussing the performance because everyone is just too busy in the day-to-day and fulfilling deliverables and just getting on with it. I think it gives gates for, for the teams to pass through and have discussions about what might need to be adjusted at any point in time. And the thing I like about this milestone payments is it also goes a long way to avoiding that dreaded line that rights holders hear where a brand goes to them and says, this just doesn't feel like it's working for us anymore. Nobody wants that. but And that's always a result of the horse has already bolted and the disconnect has actually occurred some time ago, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's like you said, it's something that we can avoid. It's not a line that any of us want to hear. So, you know, if we want to get super nerdy, we could even apply a base milestone payment with added incentives if certain outcomes are achieved. It's important here, however, that that any criteria that's outlined needs to be mutually agreed. It's not one side dictating any all of it. We're not talking about being ridiculous and, and being one sided. Remember that it's a partnership first and foremost. There's a lot of benefits there or, or outcomes that people should be looking for by employing milestone payments. The second one you've got here is a sponsor manual. Now, this scares me. It sounds big. It sounds like I'm going to have to put a lot of work into something. Is that true? Nah, don't worry. It, it's not a huge document and it doesn't have to feel like uh, instructions from Ikea. But typically speaking, we've seen this as a two-pager and brought to life really by golf, tennis and other major events. It's effectively a high-level summary, including things like contracted assets, asset specs, agreed objectives, key dates, and appropriate contacts for different areas of the business. It sounds simple, but you'd be amazed at how many deals don't include something like this. The sheer havoc that COVID has caused you know, in 2020 with so many people being furloughed, let go, or placed on reduced hours information sharing has become a very tedious task and it presents an obvious fail point for you know an important agreement having a central document with high level details is a super quick hack if 
other people across the business need to be across details or perhaps take them on as, as part of their new role. So we've cut off two there, milestone payments and now the sponsorship manual. And I'm at ease because I don't have to pull together a 50-page how-to manual. It's just a one or two-pager. Thank you for that. And the third one you've got here is tagging assets. So whether it's in Excel and a shameless plug here through Cause Connect module or something else, tagging assets is a game changer and and will at some point become best practice. And just to give listeners a, a quick definition, what I'm referring to here is a quick one to three word description of what an asset is being used for or how it's been affected. It might sound like a lot of work when you need to do it to every asset in a contracted deal in a portfolio, but being able to quickly see asset related information can help you make the most informed decision about sponsorship delivery, financial forecasting, or even just understanding what uh, is event or campaign related as opposed to one-offs. I think probably in the last six months, the best and most efficient tags I've seen, uh, there's probably been four of them. First one, campaign related. So which of our contract a- contracted assets can or are we using to deliver this campaign? COVID impacted is another one. So what assets could we not deliver as a direct result of COVID? And this helps tell that wider story of what impact has the pandemic had on the business. And you you think about, you know, hard costs and values of assets here as well. Third is, you know, quite simply deferred. So what needs to be pushed into next year or later in the deal? And finally, what sounds so simple, but swapped. So what assets are being swapped in or out of this year because of COVID? It's an exercise that we have seen happen so often, particularly on the brand and agency side, leading that strategy. So, you know, we, we've had some great guests on this show recently and all have said in a roundabout way that sponsorships are still under a lot of pressure right now. I think we can agree that on the brand side, spend is being scrutinized heavily and everything needs to be evaluated with a fine tooth comb in line with its impact on the business. And because of this, rights holders need to be tweaking their approaches to ensuring that they're doing everything they can they can to help their counterparts out. So when that story goes up the food chain on the brand side, they're across everything they need to be. And I just wanted to highlight again, as we started this chat, I made the point that the mentality of that's how we've always done it. It just doesn't cut it anymore, does it? And we keep coming back to that point. No. And and I really feel bad that we have to come back to that point. You know, we shouldn't have to. On their own, milestone payments offer benefits, sponsor manuals offer benefits and tagging assets offer their own benefits. You'll notice that when they all come together, there's actually a really nice flow on effect. For example, milestone payments bring around focus conversations more often, which can be had you know, around a sponsor manual and be brought to life through that. The tagged assets can then take center stage as everyone discusses how to best execute sponsorship for maximum results in what feels like an ever-changing environment at the moment. It's also important, and and just a flag following on from that, as a rights holder, if you're getting these aspects right, as as well as everything else that we've discussed, when you're looking at budgets, when you're looking at multiple sponsorships and and everything being considered, you're going to be remembered as the rights holder who made the brand's team so much easier. And you're also showing a commitment to success. It's that partnership versus sponsorship discussion that we, we always talk about as an industry. It's going to set you apart to the other people that just do a box ticking exercise. Yeah, and and that's how it all really comes together for me. As you said, these three things provide benefits in their own right, but together they are really powerful and there's a lot of flow-on effects and and linking. But also it doesn't just 
provide value to the sponsors. It provides easier ways for you to do your job. And then when sponsorships come around for renewal, you're in the box seat. So Daniel, another outstanding blog. And listeners, if you want to read through that in slow time, head to coresoftware.com, head to the resources section and click on blogs. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, mate. Great to chat with you. The most talked about activation of 2020 has been Burger King sponsorship of Stevenage FC, who at the time of the sponsorship in 2019 were last in the fourth division of English football, and it left many people scratching their heads as to why. It is, of course, the sponsorship that gave us the Stevenage Challenge on FIFA, and the results have been truly amazing. I really don't want to steal our guest's thunder, so I won't rattle them off, except for the fact that there's been so much amazing commercial upside for Stevenage FC based off the 1.2 billion impressions the Burger King shirt sponsorship of Stevenage FC has produced through the Stevenage Challenge on FIFA. And those commercial outcomes and further opportunities are now both online and offline. Alex Tunbridge is the Chief Executive at Stevenage FC, and he has a long history of working in football, including stints at AFC Bournemouth, Stevenage FC, Newport County AFC, rising there to become the CEO, and then a return to Stevenage FC as Chief Executive in 2018. And he joins us now to take us inside Burger King sponsorship of his club and the Stevenage Challenge on FIFA. Here's Alex. Alex, welcome to the show. We always start off our guest with an icebreaker or two, just to ease into the chat, have a little bit of fun and to help the guests get to know you a little. As such, seeing we are going to focus a lot on Stevenage FC, Burger King and FIFA. And so it talks about video games. What was the first video game you ever remember playing? Funny enough, it, it was actually FIFA. <laughs> it was FIFA 96 back on the PlayStation 1. I must have been about... 10 years old, so I can remember the old kind of monotone sounds used to get from the crowd and used to get sort of the stick men running across the pitch. Came in the box, I think it's probably even got a crack, but um, yeah, as a as a bit of a personal passion, uh, played every single FIFA since they've come out. So to, to be here kind of 25 years on is uh, it's quite a surreal moment to have, have achieved what we've achieved and I'm sure we'll go into that in a minute, but yeah. Is FIFA 96. Outstanding answer. And so your second icebreaker question is, and it links quite nicely with the theme, is what was the first ever football match you remember going to? First ever game I went to live was, uh, it was Tottenham versus Chelsea at the old White Hart Lane. So my dad uh, used to go and watch Tottenham every week. And he took me as a sort of eight, nine-year-olds. I think it ended one all. And then uh, probably most importantly about, Three or four weeks later, I said, Dad, can I go again? You know, Premier League is quite expensive at times, even back in those days. And I remember my mum saying, look, we can't afford you for you to go every week, but why don't you go and watch Stevenage? From Stevenage, just down the road. And uh, off we went. I think it was in November. I went to Stevenage v Dover Athletic. Stevenage won 4-1, and I just caught the bug. That was it. And for all the way through to my late teens, early 20s, to I went to university, I would go and watch Stevenage with my dad's week in, week out, every home game, most away games, and they be- they became my team, really. So, uh, yeah, got a soft spot for Tottenham. We'll go and watch them every now and then, but uh, my team is Stevenage. So, again, it's it's quite a surreal moment to be to be talking about two things. One, the role I do here at Stevenage, and also passion of playing FIFA and, and playing video games. So, yeah, who would have thought the two things would come together? 
That's an amazing story. I love it. Now, Alex, I invited you on the show because Burger King's sponsorship of Stephen E. Jeff C and the exposure and the user-generated content through FIFA, it's had everyone talking about it over the last few months. Let's actually start at the end. Let's talk about the outcomes and then we'll work backwards. Can you maybe wrap some numbers around the activation, both in terms of Burger King's success that you know of and Stephen E. Jeff C's success? From the two sides, both us and Burger King have, have come out this in fantastic kind of positions. For us, we have gained a, a new global fan base. It's, uh, it's a global fan base that's interacting with us on our social media streams, playing with us on FIFA and purchasing our shirts. So for us, some of the key headlines will be shirt sales up around 300% for the last year. The initial campaign itself had 1.2 billion impressions worldwide. It was launched in 13 countries around the world. That included America, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Italy, France, Russia, China. So we were really able to take our brand into places that we could never even dream of. We became the most played team on the career mode and over 25,000 goals were submitted on the Stevens Challenge campaign. So we're having a piece of work done now by a company over in America to quantify what the value of that partnership has been for us. Um, we are a club in League Two in England. We would usually be at the top end in terms of what we would attract for our shirt sponsor within the league um, because we're very close to London and, and the businesses that are around us. But for us to have uh, achieved the added value from the partnership that we have was well, well on beyond our expectations. From Burger King's perspective, they've managed to put their brand into the, um, the households of millions of people around the world in a different medium. So the, the days of watching TV are probably changing. People don't sit down religiously now and watch TV. They'll watch things on Netflix and Amazon and, and other different platforms. So the means of advertising through TV commercials is probably changing. They're looking at social media and, and placement of ads, but what they realized was by picking Stevenage as the as one of the clubs that they would sponsor, we are the first uh, or one of the first teams you will see in the FIFA Ultimate Team mode. Therefore, by virtue of that, their brand is one of the first brands that are seen. And um, they realised that by doing it, if they put an activation in, which encouraged people to play as Stevenage, then um, that would encourage more and more people to interact with their brands. And in turn, they've had a phenomenal. Um, increase i think i wouldn't say they've necessarily had an increase in sales globally they've had a fantastic increase in social media following increase in brand awareness and um, you know they've they've particularly in this current climate where there's lots of lots of debate in english football around finances lots of debate about potentially the reform and refreshment of the premier league and you've just seen come out this week european super league we're in a position here where in League One and League Two in England, we're, we're really struggling financially. We can't have crowds in at the minute. Reductions in sponsorship, reduction in conference of banqueting. And um, I think it's great that one of the really big corporations, they're a blue chip company, um, are supporting a, a very small club in England. And through the power of hard work and innovation, have turned them into the biggest team online. It's amazing. I just I love those those numbers, the 300% up in shirts, the 1.2 billion impressions online, the most played team in, in the FIFA career mode, 25,000 goals. 
That's thanks for wrapping our heads around the numbers and the success. But let's now go back to the start. Where did the idea come from? Who first raised this possibility? How did the conversation come about? We were approached by a, an agency called the David Agency, offices in America and Spain, and they were looking to source a club within League Two to work with a brand. At that point in time, we weren't sure who the brand were going to be. We knew they were looking for a club that was going to be innovative, look to do things slightly differently and uh, take a leap of faith. We had, uh, I'd recently joined the club year before. Prior to that, I'd been at Newport County for two years where we'd done a few different bits and pieces. And in my first year at Stevenage, we'd changed the crest, we'd uh, axed our match day program and gone to a digital version. We'd recently held a world title fight and we were just starting to get a reputation of being a club that potentially would rip the rule book up some, in some way in some areas. And uh, we sat down with them. We put a proposal together. They came back to us. They liked the thoughts. They liked how we were interacting with them. They liked some of the things that they were seeing. And uh, we entered into some further discussions and Burger King came to the table and uh, we thought, wow, this is, this is a phenomenal opportunity for the football club. It was going to enable us to um, put our brand on a global scale. It was going to allow us to bring a, a high-level brand into the football club and by virtue of that, be in a position to attract future high-level brands as well. Um, previously, we've always worked with local companies who, who sponsored us, which we're truly grateful for. But the opportunity to bring a blue chip onto the front of the shirt was really going to turn a few heads and, and really give a new impression about the club and what we're trying to achieve. I'm looking forward to the answer to my next question, particularly based on the back of your answer around your first video game and your long affiliation with playing all of the FIFAs since it first came out, because this situation is the first of its kind, a deliberate play to be featured in FIFA and actually activate that and engage in an, an audience. What was your initial reaction, remembering that you've played FIFA when you first heard what was being proposed and planned? Did you think as a player yourself, oh, wow, this is an amazing idea. I can immediately see how this is going to play out and be a success. Or was it, hmm, I'm not sure this is going to work? And this is probably a, a poignant moment in my life because I had to go, I don't play FIFA Ultimate Career Mode because I'm probably too old now. I'm a, I'm a cult follower of the career modes. But the joy of playing FIFA and, and even on career mode and Ultimate Team is that ability. Everyone loves an underdog and everybody loves to achieve something. The ability to take a club at the bottom of any any league or any pyramid system and take them to the top, the the challenge of bringing the best players in and, and going on this journey is one that everyone wants to live in real life. You look at the likes of Bournemouths and Swansea's and Wigan's, they've all done it and it's fantastic for their fans. But if you're not able to do that, then what a fantastic opportunity to sit in your in your in your home and, and play it out. So I think the light bulb went for me. I think it probably didn't go off to the full extent until I maybe learn a little bit more about the, the wider online market. Certainly, build up to this, the, the fans probably questioned why we'd partnered with Burger King. We'd recently changed the club crests, and in between this, we'd launched some, some kits that were probably a little bit more progressive than they had been at the football club for many years. So on a local level, I think there was much confusion around suddenly, why has the club changed its crest? Why has it launched these crazy kits? And and why are we putting Burger King on our shirt? We always knew what was going to come down the line. We launched in the June and we knew in the October this campaign was going to take place. 
So we knew we had to hold our nerve and we knew we need we need to, to really sort of buy into what we said we'd do with Burger King, stand by and support them in the activation, which we did. We got to October and I think we we probably got some recognition on a local level, not masses, but we started to see the traction on the social media stats, on the impressions. Uh, and for us, we knew something was happening when we came in one day and suddenly we've got all kinds of orders for replicated shirts from Argentina and Mexico and Brazil. And we're going, okay, something's, something's happening here. It probably wasn't until about a month ago when the, the video came out from the David Agency to, to demonstrate what the partnership had done and what the campaign had achieved, where suddenly we all stopped from it. It's very difficult football. You're caught up in it. It's 24-7. Lots of things have happened in the last year, particularly with COVID and trying to avoid relegation. It's, maybe you're, you're guilty in football of not lifting your head up and sometimes looking at what you've achieved. But we suddenly went, wow, we, we maybe underestimated the impact this had had on the world of football and certainly the world of marketing. And I think it's probably a watershed moment going forwards and, and clubs have now probably realised the value of that asset of, of being on the FIFA game. This next question is going to be a bit of a long one as I collect my thoughts and, and sort of phrase it for you. So so bear with me. But I want to pick up on that point around you having to hold your nerve because you knew what was going on and there was some questions around kits and sponsors and things like that because Burger King themselves have said that when the sponsorship was announced that many thought sponsoring Stevenage FC at the bottom of England football's fourth division at the time that it was a bad investment. And in... Uh, a media release on your own website, it said, quote, Burger King's global head of brand marketing, Marcelo Pasqua, said, we are thrilled to support Stevenage Football Club over the next two seasons. Over 265 million people play football around the world and the passion for the game is unparalleled. At Burger King, we share that passion, not only for the big teams, but also for the smaller ones that are poised for something big, end quote. That would have been read by many as a pretty bland quote about a new sponsorship. Football's big. Everyone's passionate about it. We want to support football. It's kind of stock standard stuff. But the line, poised for something big, now seems prophetic. You couldn't give too much away about the long game, as you said before. So what did you say to people when they asked, why would Burger King sponsor Stevenage FC? So we knew at the time that the goal of Burger King working with us was to turn us from a small team in the real world to the biggest team online. We always had a very clear understanding of that objective. I think on a local level, and, and certainly in the short term, I think when people were saying to us, well, why would Burger King sponsor Stevenage? We'd kind of had those uh, moments that had taken place in the months before, bringing a world title fight to the stadium, changing our brand. For us, it was all about as a small club that is in a very highly saturated area in England in terms of football clubs, particularly around London, um, Tottenham's very close to us, Arsenal, Watford, Luton Town, all of which have had very good seasons recently, expanded their stadiums, brought in new season ticket holders. We have to find a way to um, be slightly different. We have, to, we have to know what that niche is. So for us, we'd come up with this mantra of, right, well, let's be the club that tries and does things a little bit differently. Let's be a club that's connected to its community. And let's be a club that anybody can have access to. Anybody can speak to a player. Anybody can speak to myself. Anybody can speak to the chairman. Let's really play on that. And uh, for us, we, we felt it was really important that we bought, we improved our commercial outputs as a club. There was possibly some low-hanging fruit that we could go and get. And also we had to change people's perception of us. And so how we sold it to the supporters was that by bringing a blue chip company it was the first step in us changing the perception that other people had of us 
on a local level and on a national level and eventually on an international level. Now that has probably gone full circle now. We're probably equally as held on a, an international and national level in some sectors as we are on a local level here. So I think one of the key things for us has been the interaction we've received since the, the campaign from people all over the world, from fellow peers at other football clubs to other sports, NFL, NHL, NBA clubs, all getting in contact with us, recognising what we've done. So I think from a local level now, people are starting to understand that we were prepared to be bold. We were prepared to take that leap of faith. And um, now those local clubs want to come and get involved with us and, and, and ride that wave that we're on. So it's, it's a real positive as well for the local businesses and local community. I love the framing of that answer because it's, it's technically true, but it doesn't actually give the, the long game away. So well done. When you knew the deal was signed and the long game was to activate in FIFA, how hard was it to keep it a secret? Because do you think online players maybe would have pushed back and maybe boycotted if it was started off as this big corporate play? I'd still go back to the point that people play FIFA because they've got that freedom. It's like any any video game, really. There's, there's the ability to go into this completely different world, go on your own journey, control things and and, and achieve a goal that you set. So I think the, the key for us was um, the kits. People people needed to be attracted to our kits. I don't necessarily think in the first instance that the brand would have been the attraction. It was it was the cool kit instance, and you'll see loads of great social media posts. We were actually voted the worst kits in England last year. So we're obviously sitting here with a slightly different grin on our face now. So I don't think the corporate play thing would have come into it. Ultimately, the driver was the free food. And I say the driver was the free food. I actually think there was another aspect maybe that, that people haven't recognised, which is in today's world, we're always really keen to show and share what we do on social media. And in the world of video games, we're just starting to see that people like to be able to show and share their gameplay. And I think what Burger King had done was recognise that really that's what people wanted to be seen to be doing. They wanted to be seen to be sharing the goals they scored, sharing the headers, sharing the volleys, showing the, the scissor kicks and overhead kicks. And that really was the, the personal pride of people. And actually, at the same time, if they got free burger and fries, well, everyone was going to be a winner. For us, fantastic. People are now tweeting and they're creating organic content of our brand and Burger King's brand and sharing it with millions of people around the world. It's a great point you make about people wanting to share their video game highlights. And I think giving them free food is a, is a great enticement to, for people that maybe wouldn't have shared that content in the past, but they will share it now because of the reward they get. So it's a nice little play there. You knew that being in FIFA and activating it, that it was the long game for Burger King. Rights holders, they often, we all know, they struggle to value their assets a lot of the times as it is. How did you go about it? Because look, take this in the right tone without sounding rude, Burger King wouldn't normally sponsor Stephen E. Jeff C. And so I'm guessing they weren't that interested in the actual real-world front of shirt, which would normally be a big part of your sponsorship at a club. Did it change the valuation at all, knowing what they were aiming for? How did that play out in the conversation? It's just been quite an interesting dynamic, really, for us. Certainly in most normal cases, particularly when you're dealing with local brands, they will be very much attracted to the local perception of being sponsored, the local brand coverage, the ability to come and enjoy hospitality, to see their boards in the stadium, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and with Burger King, we, we didn't get that because that wasn't their driver. Yes, they've got hoardings here at the stadium and, and they've got certain inventory, 
but they were always going to be a little bit more removed maybe than the local company that wanted to be here at three o'clock on a Saturday and see the team win. So they wanted us to do well, like any sponsor would do. So I think in, in the first instance, that was quite a strange dynamic for us. We, we felt that actually they were quite distanced. You know, we're dealing with a company over in America. They know soccer, we know football. It's, you know, it was two different worlds colliding maybe. But I think once we realised the value of that asset on FIFA, this became actually, wow, we, we've just realised that probably for a League One and Two club, certainly the smaller clubs, the biggest piece of inventory we currently own that's seen by the most amount of people is, is the shirt space on FIFA. So we, we get an average crowd of 3,000 people here each week, roughly 25,000, uh, sorry, 25 games per, per season. So it's going to be 75,000 people in the stadium for a home game watching it. Now, what Burger King was able to do is to demonstrate that there are X million people playing FIFA on, on Xbox and PlayStation all around the world. And therefore, by putting the brand in there, it can be seen by 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 more times, times a thousand people by being in FIFA than it can be by being in a, in a stadium. And that ability to create organic content and for it to be retweeted and to be reposted and, and to be covered on such things as this really shows that value. And I don't actually think in a minute we truly understand what that value is. We're in discussions moving forward on some, some new concepts and new ideas, but placing the value on something... Um, company in America has, always, has already suggested that 2.5 million has been made in earned media off the back of this. Now, have we underestimated or undersold the value of our shirt for last season and this season? 100% we have. 100%. But little did we know at the time the ability we had to achieve what's been achieved. And certainly at the time, we wouldn't have known what the value of that was. So certainly an area we're really working on hard now to understand what the true value is. Well, on that point, you said that there was that moment you realised the huge value of the brand on the shirt in the in the digital environment. You mentioned that valuing it right now, even though you've had great success, is still actually a really hard thing to do. Knowing what you know now, will you and, and do you think others will start to follow suit and start to think, oh, our front of shirt is actually worth more than we thought? We'd never thought about that digital platform so much and, and brands being on our shirt in FIFA and that there's going to be some some more effort and, and brain power put into activating and, and valuing in FIFA? I think a lot of clubs will probably have maybe seen that in the last couple of months off the back of this. I think it's only got the value if the activation is good. Without the activation, yes, there is a certain perceived value of being on the, on the FIFA game, but really it's the ability to put in place a innovative activation that can go viral, that creates self-generating organic content, and that creates this phenomenon where actually people want to play as, as your club. Now, we're looking to do something probably next season. We're going to do some different bits and pieces during the course of this season, and we'll probably look to do a different activation the season after. But just because we're Stevenage and just because we've had this success this year, if the activation is not as good as somebody else the preceding year, then it's highly likely that they will probably steal the show. So it's going to be really interesting to see that marketplace and to see what different brands and different clubs can come up with. I think it's great, and we really hope that other clubs realise that it's very difficult for clubs in League One and Two at the minute. And um, if we've maybe opened the door to enable them to bring some more income in and increase the the partners they're working with and the the assets that they're selling, then I think it's fantastic for football in England. 
It's an excellent point that you make that a sponsorship isn't really anything without good activation. And so some brands will be well suited to a play like FIFA and activating it well. There's a good fit there, while others probably won't. And even maybe some of those traditional sponsors that we see in football just won't be able to find ways to activate on a platform like FIFA. A real and properly planned out activation of a sponsorship was the key to the success here, clearly, Ironically, though, while logo placement was at the heart of it, it definitely wasn't about logo slapping and signage and hospitality and tickets, as you've explained. Can you outline for the listeners what was discussed in terms of how the sponsorship was going to be activated and the assets that were needed that you had to give to Burger King? And even if there were some traditional assets and rights that were still included, maybe like tickets for for local employees to come and be part of the club? Initially, we had a plan of what they wanted to achieve. And for us, it was the ability for us to say, yes, you can use our brand. You can have the space in the shirt and we're going to support you with it. We are, we're not going to be a club that's going to be risk cautious. We're going to, we're going to jump in and get behind this and, and self-promote. In terms of the more traditional assets, it was important that they had a certain element of uh, in-stadium assets. So things like the dugouts, a few boards around the pitch, social media, but really, it, it was quite a small amount compared to previous years. No hospitality, no activations on a local level, which at the time we thought was quite interesting. But then if you if you look at what's been invested and their return on investment from a global perspective, it was always going to outdo anything that they did on a local level. And actually, I think, I think the value locally is they've helped put the town of Stevenage on the global map. Stevenage is a new town. It was only built in the 50s and 60s here in England. Probably one of its most famous things is it, it it builds the Mars rover that's on Mars. Not many people will know that. But actually, at the minute, why does everybody know Stevenage? They know Stevenage because of the Burger King Challenge, because they're the most played team. So I think that's fantastic. And Stevenage is going for a new regeneration program in the town centre. And hopefully this will help in attracting new businesses and industries to the town. So how has Burger King helped the local community? It's put the town on the map. And in the long term, I think that will really help things. And people, or maybe even more people, will know Stevenage FC even more in the town of Stevenage because there's people all over the world wearing shirts. You said that shirt sales were up 300%. We know from reading the media reports that you sold out of shirts. It was the first time in the club's history. So there is engagement with the club to the point where FIFA players are buying merchandise from, as you said earlier, all over the world. The big question now is how do you keep those people engaged long-term and maybe position Stevenage FC as their second team? Because I assume most people who play FIFA are already football fans and they already support a team and it's part of their culture, part of their family history even. So it isn't like you're going to attract fans who aren't already supporting a team. So how do you see that playing out? I think football's very habitual. You're, you're born into a team either through your, your family supporting them or because it's your local team or because it's the first team you go and watch. And that's never going to change, particularly in England. You Once you're in, you you stick with a club and, and that will go all the way through till you die. So we're, we're not naive in, in knowing that we're not going to convert people all around the world to come and support Stevenage. And, and certainly when COVID lifts, we don't expect uh, aeroplanes upon aeroplanes flying from all around the world of fans coming to watch us. Yes, those individuals will probably make a trip at some point and it's great and we'd love to see them. For us, we're going to see uplift in shirt sales. So 
being ahead of the game with our shirt designs is important because people want to want to have that shirt and have something a little bit different. We're going to get social media engagement, which is great, and building our social media stats. In turn, we can sell our social media assets for more because we've got more engagement. But really, it's about being that second team. It's about ensuring that they continue to play with us on FIFA. In terms of how we do that, we've worked quite hard over the last few months to be ready off the back of this. So as of next week, we're going to be the first club in the UK to launch its own esports platform, which will enable us to bring players uh, playing FIFA all around the world as Stevenage onto one platform and to play in free and cash prize tournaments. The hardest thing for us has been, right, we've got all these people playing as Stevenage, but we don't necessarily know who they are. How do we get, how do we, we don't know what the gamer tag is. We don't know how long they're playing for. We don't know if they're playing as Stevenage against a different club or whether they're playing against other Stevenage fans. So that for us is the next point in how we evolve this and how we take it to the next level. And hopefully next Friday we'll be ready to launch and those people who are playing Stevenage will be able to come together and play in these fantastic esports tournaments on a regular basis and interact in a new community. They'll be able to launch their Twitch stream into it as well so people can watch it. They'll be able to share things on social media. And uh, off the back of that, we'll be linking into the site all kinds of add-ons, shirt sales, um, different prizes, different competitions. And, and we think for us, that's probably the best solution in bringing those people together. Very exciting. Congratulations. It sounds like a, 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 a silly thing to say, but I assume that selling out of shirts for the first time in your history, it was an unexpected commercial outcome. You could never have dreamed that you were going to do that, but clearly a very welcome one. Were there any other positive commercial outcomes that eventuated that you just weren't expecting? Not in the case of last season, although we probably did have a few additional sponsors come on board. Um, whether or not that was related to Burger King or not, probably not sure. It's, just, it's probably a question to ask in the next few weeks. But for us, it's been the effective things in the past four to six weeks since the David video went viral. So off the back of that, we've had unprecedented amounts of social media following, news articles, podcasts like this, personal perspective. I think the LinkedIn post that I put out had a quarter of a million views. And off the back of that, 1,500, 2,000 connections. And within that, some people that we probably would never even have dreamed to be able to reach out and speak to. And then from that is the ability to approach them about future initiatives. Um, there are probably three or four very interesting conversations taking place at the minute with some other big brands, certainly on the scale of Burger King. So I think the true value of this partnership will have to be measured probably over the next couple of years. The ability to work with bigger brands as well and, and the income that they'll be able to bring in and the activations will probably demonstrate the true value of that partnership. So many positives there. It really is amazing. Are you thinking now about continuing to build FIFA shirt sponsorship benefits into sponsorship agreements? Or do you feel that this was kind of a one-off play and the cat's out of the bag, so to speak, for most brands and teams? Or is there really still going to be opportunities there based on how it can be activated? We kind of spoke earlier about more creativity. For us, certainly it's a bit of a USP in terms of how we go and sell our sponsorship packages in the future. As I said, this year, we're, we're probably going for a slightly different approach. We, we really think that the, the campaign that we've launched last year was a, was a two-year campaign. It was launched in the October. The video coming out showing what's been done just before the new FIFA comes out means we'll probably still be one of the most played teams on FIFA this year. Um, for us, it's about where do we get to for the preceding season? 2021-2022 season, 
How do we do it? Yes, we know there's a huge value, but what's that activation? And for us, it's about investing the time, the thought, and the innovation into what does that look like? We don't just want to regurgitate something. We want to come up with that next wow idea and for people to turn around and go, why don't we think of that? So that, that's what we're working on at the minute and, and we'll be working almost a year, 18 months in advance ready for that activation of, of 2021. Do you think there are opportunities for rights holders to be thinking more about, for want of a better phrase, secondary benefit channels? So for example, we've always positioned traditional media as a channel sponsors get their brands into because of the sponsorship, but usually the rights holder doesn't have much control over that about where the TV cameras are pointed and how much airtime a shirt will get and things like that. In fact, that's exactly what has traditionally happened in FIFA. Brands just kind of made their way into it because they were part of a football club's fabric and they just went along on the journey. FIFA exposure really was just a byproduct. Do you think there are any other untapped or underdeveloped channels out there outside of FIFA? I think the esports world is possibly the next market that will, will boom in the world of um, sports sponsorships, particularly off the back of covid fans can't come into grounds. I think digital is, is a huge area. I think a lot of clubs possibly have realised in the last six months the value of, of digital products, be that subscription services. I think, I think the American sports are generally ahead of the game in a lot of things, particularly in activation and fan engagement and how, how they do things. Pay-per-view and st- streaming is also coming to the table over here in England at the minute and, and what those packages look like. So I think untapped, yes, Gaming, 100%, is an area that needs to to probably boom in the next few years, and I think it will do. Um, I, I think the other key thing is, and I've mentioned it already, is, is organic content. If you look out there in the market now, you've got Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, um, YouTube, Instagram, and most recently, TikTok. I think the ability to um, come up with activations and ideas that can self-generate content on these platforms is very powerful. Alex, absolutely fascinating insights. If people want to find out more about Stevenage FC or keep the conversation going with yourself, apart from playing as Stevenage FC on FIFA and getting their hands on a Stevenage FC shirt and being part of the cool gang, what can they do? Where can they go? Yeah, so just go to our social media channels, Stevenage FC, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Have a look out for our new esports platform that's going to be launching next week. Yeah, we, we tend to always try and be ahead of the game on things. So uh, keep an eye out for us. We uh, tend to like to raise a few eyebrows and, uh, and be the ones that uh, people turn around and go, why didn't we think of that? So uh, always looking for new ideas. Love people to come and engage with us. Uh, we had a tweet on Saturday during our game from a fan in Paraguay, which is just fantastic. So yeah, if you're out there, even if you're just playing Steam GFC online, um, please keep supporting with us and, and come on our journey. Alex Tunbridge, Chief Executive at Stevenage Football Club. Thank you so much for taking us inside Burger King's sponsorship of Stevenage FC and the success of the activation in FIFA. Brilliant, Dan. Thanks for having me. Such a great activation and the leap of faith Alex spoke about really has been amazing for the club. I'm particularly struck by the fact that it feels like that was a bit of a kickstart to a wave of so many things that they can now explore and that they've really run with it and that great news about the launch of their esports platform. Of course, the numbers from the activation were phenomenal and as Alex mentioned, the David Agency has summed it all up with a video to run us through it all. Simply head to the show notes at callsoftware.com, head to the podcast 
podcasts under the resource section and I've given you that link in the show notes for this episode. Of course, I've also given the link to their esports platform, so go and check that out as well. And also links to all their social channels that Alex mentioned. That's a wrap for episode 89. Thanks for joining me. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. Or if you want to connect with Core Software's commercial director, APAC, Daniel Collier-Hill, you can catch him on daniel.collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R, at coresoftware.com, or search for him on LinkedIn as well. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, eBooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.